Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're talking about the Enterprise episode, Twilight. It's one of, if not my absolute favorite of the series. So I watched this episode for the first time yesterday, and I knew going in that it was one of your favorites, mm-hmm. and I was afraid that I wouldn't like it, because I remember <laughs> we disagree on Carbon Creek. <laughs> Annika, I think this is the, the first truly and absolutely outstanding episode of Enterprise. It's so good. So good, right? And... I was watching it and I came, when I finished, I was like, no, actually, I like that more than Carbon Creek. I think Ooh. that, so I came to this realization about how I watch Star Trek, or, yes. where I realized that both Next Generation and Voyager, I watched live, like every episode, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I've watched them i've rewatched episodes a lot of the you know partially because they were on like tnt or tbs or whatever whatever channel it was that had bbc america like they they yeah, seem to yeah. play tng and voyager more and that but the, also i just have like have more of a connection to those series yeah so for Deep Space Nine at Enterprise, which I know for a fact there are episodes of both series that I've never seen, and I've never, like, because I didn't watch them when they were first on, and I've never done a full rewatch of either Deep Space oh, Nine wow. or Enterprise. And we so... Should, we should do an episode where <laughs> we make you watch those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, I don't even know which they are. I'd have to, like, look, I'd have to really think about it. But... So what happens is when I watch either of those two series, Enterprise or Deep Space Nine, I'm either watching an episode that I really love or I'm watching an episode that I really hate. Like, yeah. I don't watch the episodes that I don't remember or, or that don't have any reason to watch. It's like I watch the ones that I have a strong reaction to or a strong memory of. And so, like, the most recent episode I watched was Carbon Creek before this. And so mm. that's what came to mind as being my favorite. <laughs> but it was no. really because it was like the most that like it was in my mind. No, I completely understand it. I think recency bias is always a thing, especially when you're dealing with something as big and varied as Star Trek. You know, it's hard to keep all the pieces in your head. But I can say with total recency bias, <laughs> it's less than 24 hours since I watched Twilight. It was great, and I do think that it would stand up, and it's one of the few episodes of Enterprise where I've gone, actually, I would have a normal amount of embarrassment if one of my friends were to watch this with me. Like, not the extra embarrassment of, oh, God, this is a genuinely terrible episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a hilarious way of describing it, but it's very, like, I can imagine it in my head. It's very visual. Like, I know exactly how you're feeling. One of my Voyager rewatches, I was watching Darkling, and my flatmate joined me for the whole thing, and I'm like, just so you know, (laughs) this is more than usually mediocre for Voyager. (laughs) I promise. Right. (laughs) Yes, and and just because I I know Voyager Next Generation 
better doesn't mean I think that they're superior. <laughs> I'll just no. put that out there. <laughs> Next Gen has this wonderful reputation and all, and so does Deep Space Nine. They are just as embarrassing as all the other tricks. <laughs> all of Star Trek is, <laughs> yep. is, is terrible but wonderful. We love it. <laughs> but. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know... A love that has no no buts attached is the relationship that evolves between T'Pol and Archer. And I don't know that I ship it, but I really liked watching it. I ship it. <laughs> oh, should we, like, tell listeners what the episode is oh, about? Yes, yes, we should. <laughs> I like to think that everyone listens to the last 30 seconds of our podcast to make note of what we're going to talk about next time, but maybe they, <laughs> they don't. And then they all should watch, you know, so. Yeah. So Twilight is a early third season episode of Enterprise, which starts with the destruction of Earth. It's great. <laughs> uh, T'Pol is captain. Archer is running around shirtless, not knowing what's going on, and then Earth blows up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's real, it's, real hook. Just drops you right in. When we come back, you know, post credits, we are 12 years in the future of the series. 12 years have gone by since the episode before this one. And Archer and Paul are living on a planet and Archer doesn't know how he got there or why or what's going on. He's confused when T'Pol calls him Jonathan and the fact that, you know, they look different, they look older. She has a really cute haircut, a really cute little ponytail. <laughs> and so she explains that he, there was a, you know, one of those weird anomalies and he was infected with temporal parasites that <laughs> that make it so that he can't remember anything that happened after that accident so he's reliving the same day over and over again but it's he can't form new memories yeah he i've mentioned this in our notes that the uh christopher nolan film memento has mm. sort of the same concept of brain damage that leads to someone being unable to form any new memories. And so they're always trying to solve something that they've already solved or they've already failed to solve. And they, you know, so it's a constant disappointment. And yeah. trying to build relationships or your own history is impossible in, the, in that, or is very difficult. And through flashbacks, T'Pol tells him about the consequences of the destruction of Earth. Uh, there are only 6,000 humans remaining because after destroying Earth, the Zindi went after the few human colonies. And yeah, humanity teeters on the brink of extinction. They're living on, it's not just any old planet, I want to say, it's Seti yeah. Alpha 5. It is, where it's Seti Kirk Alpha maroons. 5. <laughs> Khan and his followers at the end of Space Seed. And I always picture, uh, you know, I, I kept hearing Chekhov's voice, Seti Alpha 5! In the back of my mind is always the, what if the bugs that get into your ear are how he gets rid of the parasites? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I always thought that someone, that the reason that it said Alpha 5 is that was the first draft. That, and then they were like, kind of that's bad. Sense. We shouldn't do that. Yeah, and so yeah. we're going, but they never like changed the planet. That's mm. just my personal take I on it. I can very easily see that because it's the kind of twist that uh, would seem like a really good idea to fandom, but only a very small subset of fandom. And it's really self-indulgent and fan wank to the point of alienating the audience whereas i think just right. throwing in this is seti alpha 5 and it's barely minchara class is a, a nice subtle throwback so basically uh once archer's been caught up to the quote-unquote present which is really the future he is brought back to enterprise because flox who has been spending he spent the entire time trying to fix this problem and growing his hair. And <laughs> growing his hair. Like, okay, so when we get to hair cast... Oh, we I, have so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. It's so good. But so uh, they are on the Enterprise. They start to do the treatment. The treatment starts to work. And they find out that not only is he being cured in the present, but they look up his brain scans from, early, you know, years before and... It, he's been cured there too, so he's being cured across time. And Flox and Paul decide this means that if they cure Archer, they will save Earth, which is a leap, but it works out for them. It's also a leap that they make in a state of absolute desperation because as they're realizing this, Enterprise is being attacked by the Zindi who have right. tracked down the remnants of humanity. And there's this really shocking, amazing scene where the whole bridge is just blown open to space. And I was like, oh yeah, but there are force fields. No, it's the no. 22nd century. They no barely had shields. No force fields. Everyone, the Enterprise. Yeah. Everyone in the series dies in this episode, but it's okay because it's reset. Yes. So they're they're at a last ditch effort, and they 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 can't do the treatment the way that they were in the little tube, medical what's it, and so instead they're basically going to cause a a giant plasma explosion that will kill all the parasites and everyone else, but most importantly the parasites. Yeah, yeah, and amazingly it works and. Archer wakes up in sick bay the day of the initial accident and everything's fine and no one remembers what has happened but he's sort of asking for things of T'Pol as if she were his nurse which I'm going to talk about because I'm like <laughs> really dude you've earned so much goodwill through this whole episode and now you're just being a jerk but I don't think it was intended as, as being a jerk and I think yeah. there's some interesting gender dynamics at play through this episode yes very much so and i'm very excited to talk about them <laughs> i have research well not research but <laughs> i have ideas because the important thing the emotional core of this episode is that archer was injured he he got these parasites in his head because he saved to pole mm -hmm. and she feels tremendous gratitude and also a sense of obligation and so she basically becomes his caretaker and this is a narrative decision that could have gone really really badly and I think kudos to the writers it doesn't feel gross their relationship and the friendship that evolves between them is really 
significant and lovely to see. I think it's because she treats him as uh, an equal, even yeah. though she is she is in like in charge of him in in certain in certain ways. That she has to make sure that he understands everything that's going on mm. over and over and over again, and and keep him safe on this planet in their cute little kitchen. <laughs> but she doesn't talk down to him or or she she never gets upset. I think she's Vulcan, so she yeah, never gets upset yeah. that she has to tell him this for the three hundred thousandth time. And the you know, the way she uses his first name and the way she explains that they that their relationship has changed even even if he doesn't remember it, she remembers all of those years. I yeah. think it's it's really it's her tone and it's the way, like it's partially the the situation and the writing and and how it's presented, but it's also like she does a really good job. Uh, Jolene Blaylock does a really good job of playing. I am your person. I am your rock. <laughs> um, yes, but, but not like. Because because I I want to be or because I want I, I want you to like she doesn't want him to need her she's not and even the whole sense of obligation by the future period it's that's not it anymore like she's yeah it doesn't that. feel unhealthy for her and I also think this is a brain damage narrative but it sort of avoids the messy the messy aspects of an acquired brain injury you know. Archer is physically independent, he can feed himself, he doesn't need his right. hygiene needs taken care of for him. So, yeah, it's it's not quite like a straight-up carer and carey, carer and patient relationship, which is why I don't feel too bad about shipping it a tiny bit. Like, <laughs> I mean, just there's that the one where... Uh, she says that their relationship has evolved and he's like how oh. did it evolve and she just looks at him and gives him this sort of like exactly how you think it's evolved <laughs> yeah like, yeah I just... and I think there's an interesting question there as to the extent to which he can consent to sex because he knows who he is he for the the period or you know for a period of hours at a time he knows where he is and what has happened to him and so, yeah, I feel like well, you wouldn't, you couldn't, he couldn't marry. He couldn't enter a long-term relationship. He couldn't consent to those things. Remember, but right? yeah. as like a one-time thing, oh, well, like, and it's, it's been 11 years. So we've gone through at least one ponfar. <laughs> I'm just saying. Exactly. So, and what I, I mean, you know, I love every Vulcan human relationship there is. I know. But... The and I've I think I've said before that besides Janeway and Tuvok, Archer and DePaul is like the other one that is the top, you know, even more than Sarek and Amanda or Sarek and Kat or um and Kirk and Spock like is like sorry, but they're last <laughs> on my list. It's almost such a cliche that you don't want to ship it because it's already got enough attention. Yeah, I just, I mean, I really, I love, I like, 
I like platonic. I like them as, I don't know, whatever. We're not going to talk about Kirk and Spock. That's a different episode. No, no. But to They've Paul had and plenty Archer, of attention. To Paul and Archer, like similarly to Janeway and Tuvok, I just love them so much as this deep friendship that I don't need it to be romantic or sexual, but I'm also 100% here for that. <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> and I kind of feel the same way, but Archer is such a variable character and you never know if you're going to get the decent heroic guy or the absolute jerk. And here for most of the episode, he's the good guy. So it, it's like he's like, some kind of transporter accident I love before him. the series started. <laughs> My trash Captain Archer, he's so precious. This is a great episode for him. Like, you're right that he is mostly great. Mm. But, and what I think it is, is that he's so clearly, even when he doesn't exactly know who he is or what's going on, he wants to be that guy. He wants to be the hero. He wants to be the good guy. He wants to be worthy of T'Pol in whatever way their relationship shows up. Mm. He wants to be the guy that the whole the whole crew is thrilled to see and welcoming welcomes back with open arms and hugs and praise, and then he runs away from the reception because he can't deal with the fact that he doesn't know so much that's, that's yeah. happened. Like, there's just a lot. It's a, it's a very good character uh, study of Archer because he's really down to his bones. Yeah. And sometimes when Archer is in a state of desperation, what comes out is toxic masculinity. And here it's a very positive masculinity. Mm-hmm. So, I just think, I mean, and because... I care so much about their relationship, like already. This, like I said, this was the third season, and I definitely, like, they were already great to me. Jamal yeah. is easily the best character in Enterprise, and Archer's my trash captain. And they just have such a, they're, they're really, like, the writers care about their relationship, so. <laughs> yeah, you can so. really see who the writers care about on this show and who <laughs> they don't. Sorry, Travis Mayweather. I don't even think he was in this episode. He was not. <laughs> so they... I love the idea of taking them out of their box, putting them in a whole different story. And like that's what I mean, how it's like it's the bones of Archer and it's the bones of T'Pol. Mm. It's the bones of the T'Pol and Archer relationship without all of the trappings of being on Enterprise, being in Starfleet, fighting over what they should be doing and all of the like stuff that is external it's just a relationship study yeah yeah and i really love the glimpses we get of the outside world and everything happening beyond their little house on tau seti on seti alpha 5 like i love a story that remembers there's a larger world. So you have references to like General Shran and apparently you sort of get the impression that the Andorians are doing more for humanity than the Vulcans. <laughs> I mean, okay, I also like that one scene with Soval just it reminds me how much I hate Soval. I, I know, I know. him. He's it's the like, worst. He has not all in a of, fun way. All of Sarek's bad traits and none of his good ones. <laughs> And exactly, it's also, that's exactly what I was about to say. Like, 
Spock is Sarek's son. Michael is Sarek's daughter. So he has, like, some standing to, like, like, they're adults, so he shouldn't really put them down. But he at least has that relationship. Soval is not in any way, like, he's not even her superior anymore. So he no! should just step off and go away. <laughs> Soval, I'm sorry, you are not a good dude. I like to think, actually, that early in his career, Sarek watched the elderly Saval and was like, so this is what I'm not going to do. <laughs> yes. You, you have a note here about Rosemary's baby and oh, Memento yes. and the thread of psychological horror running through this episode. Mm -hmm. And the following note is about the genocide as backdrop. And I think they really tie in together. There's oh, yes. a real sense of desperation among all the humans and this news of the genocide of his people is new to archer every day which is can you imagine can you imagine it sounds a lot like being in 2020 being like imagine to paul being trapped in this situation when you have to say you have to tell him that story every day like that's horrible. yeah that's a that's a horror story and uh, archer's reality is a horror story all of like the six thousand people who are left, the six thousand humans who are left, that's a horror story. So yes, but it's it's their reality, and so that's why I think that Rosemary's ba baby, it, like Rosemary's baby, is mentioned in the in the episode. So it's that's clearly something that we're supposed to be thinking about, at least mm. you know in the back of our mind. And, and it's such an interesting choice because it's such a feminine type of horror and right. Rosemary fears she is going to be the mother and caretaker to a demon and that's not really how it goes for T'Pol. Right, so I have two quotes yes. from, from uh, two different posts about Rosemary's Baby. So yeah. Rosemary's Baby is a book by... Ira Levin, I think his name is Ira, Ira Levin. I think so. And then it was made into a movie in the 60s by Roman Polanski, unfortunately. Mm. Starring um, Mia Farrow starring Mia iconic Farrow. haircut. Fun fact, it was also a miniseries starring Star Trek alums Zoe Saldana and Jason Isaacs. Yes, I, I haven't watched it even though I love Jason Isaacs and Zoe Saldana, but we've established that I don't do scary. But, so, uh, these, these are, the first one is from a uh, post called 31 Days of Feminist Horror, and so they, like, discuss different movies. And this, it's about, uh, it's about, it, like, because Rosemary's Baby is about a woman who is, who is trapped and who mm. everyone is lying to, and she, she ne doesn't know what reality even is. And... So she starts to feel very paranoid because she thinks everyone's lying to her, but people keep telling her they're not. And then at the end, it's like, just kidding, we were. Yeah. And so it's like oh, the idea of your paranoia is true. Mm. And I think of, in especially in that first scene where Archer is running around because he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what they mean by you're supposed to be locked in your quarters and on captain's orders because it's like, he thinks he's the captain. So right. he's, you know, and then he, you know, bursts onto the bridge and immediately sees the destruction of Earth. So that's pretty horrible. 
So this quote, even though, again, it's from a thing about feminist horror and because uh, it, Rosemary's Baby is a, it's known as a feminist story mm. and it is certainly a female protagonist. <laughs> um, it's important to, sometimes to draw a distinction. I'm just, I'm just saying. So, okay. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is one of the first examples of a female protagonist in what would become known as the paranoia cinema of the 1960s and 70s, where the protagonist's seemingly insane theories turn out to be true, but barely cause a ripple in the greater world around them. So this, uh, I think, is more about Archer than about Tipal. Mm, yeah. This one. Because it's more about Archer not being able to trust his own sense of reality and yes. having to trust what is being told to him. And it's only because he, he does trust T'Pol and they already have a relationship that he's able to accept what she says. I, if, like, if, if it was, you know, first season, early Archer and T'Pol, he would be like, no, you're lying to me. I, you're a Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, I, I do yeah. not believe you. Or if it was someone other than Duvall who was doing that. And so it's this interesting, you know, like Rosemary feels like paranoid and feels like everyone's lying to her, but it's like, it's her husband. It's her doctor. It's her neighbors. Mm. Like these are people that she's supposed to be able to trust. Yeah. And so she has to push against that. And so there's, there's a, that's one aspect. But my second quote, I think is, uh, is, this is more about T'Pol mm -hmm. um, and about the setup of this, uh, this episode and that I think is interesting. So this is from a post called Patriarchy Without Feminism is Hell. Throughout the novel, Rosemary defines herself through a self-sacrificing domesticity which puts her husband and child first and leaves little space for her own agency or even her own self-preservation. Oh, that's interesting. Like in light of T'Pol. Right. That's definitely what T'Pol does because she puts her whole life on hold to take right. care of Archer. And I'm not saying that's a wrong choice. I think it's, it's great. And it's also yeah. there's a really interesting through line where she's captain for, I think, three years. And yes. Earth is destroyed. <laughs> And then, like, all of humanity is, is brought to the brink of destruction. And the Vulcans, like, give up. And, mm. and so it's sort of like, to Paul in charge was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> there is sort of, like, this interesting, like, maybe she thinks it's better <laughs> to go hide out on the planet with Archer, too. It's interesting, like, the quote you just you just gave makes me feel like they were on some level aware of the potentially dubious gender dynamics of T'Pol's choices here but then if if she feels she failed as captain and owes something to maybe humanity I don't like that because Janeway was very motivated by by guilt and mm. I feel like we need some female leaders who are not Oh, I definitely, <laughs> there are very interesting echoes of Janeway yeah. in, in this, I think. And it, you're absolutely right that part of this is that there are a bunch of men writing women and they don't really know 
how <laughs> or they they make male choices <laughs> they make men choices instead of it's like so yeah i don't like the idea that to paul's a bad captain i don't think that that's true i think that no. she did what her training told her 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 vulcan instincts like the, in that one scene with trip which is super interesting because he is basically saying you're you're a terrible captain and mm. we and we need to and i'm like fuck this. you buddy um and and she's you know she's like i'm doing the best i can and get out of my face <laughs> so i think that yeah like i feel like the writers put a lot of stuff into this episode and i'm not sure they knew exactly what they were going for but i really feel like you don't just pull rosemary's baby out of a hat like that's no that's no. a specific they were choice. definitely conscious on some level that they were doing something interesting here and you know what good on them another thing i noticed actually about this episode is that it was written by mike sussman and i always assumed from the time travel thing that it was written by brandon braga but <laughs> Sussman started out on Voyager, and he's actually behind some of my very favourite Voyager episodes. He did Meld, mm -hmm. he did The Swarm, Unimatrix 0, 1 and 2, with Brandon Braga and Joe mm -hmm. Minoski. Shattered, that last-ditch <gasps> attempt at, you know, Janeway Chicote and a bit of time travel. I mean, I guess, but that's not why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did uh, Shadows of Pajem, mm -hmm. and... Uh, uh, regeneration, the the wonderful Enterprise Borg story. Yep. He's a really solid writer, and he's really good at balancing fan wank and telling a good story. And mm. I really like his work here. So my criticisms about the subtext. Oh yeah, they're, they're coming from a place of deep respect because I think he's very talented, and I think he is not creepy in his writing of women the way certain other yeah. men behind star trek are i would also say like i think i mean i think we've discussed this is i i think a, a, a really good episode this is a, an exceptional mm. episode of star trek and so the the gender confusion that that might exist i don't think can be put on the shoulders of Michael Sussman. I think it's no. the reality of this was made in this certain time period with these certain people and the I and you know with forty years of Star Trek behind it, and that's mm. like they weren't quite pushing. Like they were pushing boundaries in very specific ways. Right, right, and I do think that it's interesting that we can position Archer, the alpha male of the series, as Rosemary in right. this, this context. Like, that is groundbreaking. You really can. And he, I think that I, lo I love their scenes in, in their kitchen. Like, mm. it's so domestic. It's so... It's right. Like, in, and Archer really is, like, he's such, he's this little puppy dog, you know, being told this horrible story. He just, it's like, it's his whole captain persona and toxic masculinity side is like stripped away as you're watching because yeah. of what he's learning. And I just think that that's so incredible and it's, it's just such an interesting idea. And I love the idea of positioning both Paul and Archer as Rosemary in dis different contexts. 
yeah. playing with that. Yeah. And I really loved to step out into the wider universe a bit. The parallels between the destruction of Earth and Falcon's failure to save or help humanity and mm. the destruction of Romulus and the Federation's failure 200 years later. Like, I'm sure that no one on Picard had this specific episode of Enterprise in mind, but the parallels are so great. They're definitely there. It also makes me think that we can probably put some of the blame for the Federation's failure with Romulus at the feet of Vulcan. Vulcan? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we blame Vulcan for everything, so... Yeah. One Spock cannot fix the whole problem. <laughs> One Spock. Spock tried so hard, too. He tried to fix the Romulans and the Vulcans. And he and did the his humans. best. Spock yeah. was just out there trying all the time. Mm. He's the anti-Yoda. I had this stray thought as I was watching it that if you took this episode and you merged it with Year of Hell, you would basically get Star Trek 2009. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, J.J. Abrams is a hack. <laughs> he doesn't have an original did idea know this. In, his, in his head. But It's funny though. I very recently watched Before and After, the Voyager episode which foreshadows Year of Hell for my blog. And... There was a real confidence in the way that Voyager, which is a series that has traditionally avoided too much continuity, but here they went to the effort and expense of setting up what was then intended to be the season finale and wound up being the mid-season mm. two-parter a year later. Mm. And it feels like Twilight sort of does the same thing. This is a look at how this story that we're pursuing over this season could end. And... Yes. Look at this, guys. It's terrible. <laughs> Let's not do that, mm. <laughs> is what you come out of it. It's also a post-9-11 story. And I think mm. that's that kind of um, is maybe the cause of the parallels with the Romulus thing in Star Trek Picard in terms Absolutely. of a devastating loss and refugee camps and destruction. And it's interesting to me that if the initial Zindi attack on Florida... Florida. Why Florida? Take it. Because Have that's it. where Trip Tucker is from. It's full of disease. <laughs> he lives in a swamp. He's a swamp man. Trip Tucker is Florida man. He probably licks COVID for fun. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Poor Trip. <laughs> He's not my trash captain, but I do love him. I occasionally have a flicker of mild affection for him. Anyway. It's interesting that we start out with a Zindi attack and it's very clearly a 9-11 thing and it's rah, rah, Starfleet, Earth, we're going mm -hmm. to find these guys and kick their asses. And then it's failure and the destruction of Earth is also a 9-11 parallel and it ends in complete loss. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's like paranoia about the scary Middle Easterners coming for us or whatever, or, or if it's more of a... A rare sense of empathy for the victims of the war on terror. It's interesting because the Zindi existed before, like, they started Zindi idea, the idea of Zindi before mm. the whole, before 9-11 happened, <laughs> before yeah. it became about 9-11, and it absolutely did, but it's just, so it's interesting, it's sort of like, how many of these stories were already on paper? And, and how would they change and how did they alter and like mm. what would be the Enterprise season 
that would have existed if it hadn't happened? Like, uh, those are questions I like to think about as someone who was alive and watching. Them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as someone who was very close to, like, mm. uh, my brother was <laughs> in New York City. Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't contact him until he crossed on foot crossed the bridge to New Jersey. Oh my god. So it was really scary. Like yeah. he was literally living in that you know, like not on the road but but you know he was in that neighborhood. That was that was mm. where he was. He was going to school at Parsons. Oh my god. So gosh. it was personal, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Like <laughs> that was a uh it was a important event for all of America, but it was like a, also a personal thing that happened to my family. Thank yeah. God, no one, I didn't know anyone who died, but I, my, you know, my daughter's school did. Like, like people that we knew had people who died because yeah. we, live, we live close enough that people who live here work in New York. So yeah. it's, uh, I yeah, you know, it's it just ha it just passed the, the the 19th anniversary. Yeah. And there's, you know, a lot of and I'm super lefty. I'm super <laughs> like I will say that on that like that week of 9/11, they were showing on television these images of little children in the Middle East like cheering because or what, you know, whatever. I think personally, I don't think it even happened. Like I think that was propaganda, <laughs> but that's what was on the news. And I said, you know, I'm not angry at that child. I want to ask that child what we did wrong. <laughs> that, that's yeah. their reaction, you know, like. Why would you hate us? Clearly, like clearly we're in the wrong. But I think that that is not a, universal feeling <laughs> um and i think that the enterprise reaction of we're going to we're going to make our space drama about the beginnings of of, of starfleet about 9 11 is is probably a, a more uh more people thought that way definitely <laughs> so, i think i think some people still feel that way yeah yes absolutely and so it's it's interesting for me to imagine the enterprise that would exist without 9-11. Mm. I feel that way about the West Wing because literally mm. the episode where Mrs. Landringham died was interrupted by the footage of the first plane going into the tower. So wow. for me, the West Wing, aside from its content, mm -hmm. is inextricably linked yeah. with 9-11. Yeah. Right. So, but th this... What's so interesting to me about this episode is that it's like it it opens the the episode and it's yeah devastating. There's six thousand. That's less than than like Battlestar Galactica numbers of people who are still alive. And so the it's like really upsetting. Mm. That, um, but it's it's a, it's it's not it's not the point of the episode. It's just the setting. It's the setting of the episode. Mm. And I think that's almost a good choice because how Ooh. do you tell that story and do justice to it? You can't. You have to focus in on 
one little household of one Vulcan and mm-hmm. one human captain who's a right. bit broken in the head. And I really I, want to know more about their lives over those years on the Give planet. Me and all of the fan fiction. Right. Like, did T'Pol have some sort of role in the colony? Like, she's Vulcan. She's older than most humans, I, I imagine. She's got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. Is she out there helping with the, the infrastructure? Does she have a leadership role? Or is she, like, full-time in the kitchen with her captain and her ponytail? <laughs> I, I think that they both, because, okay, so you know the part where he wants to do something and she's like, you can go talk to the kids with your dog. Yeah. Like, first of all, there are kids in the Enterprise. <laughs> I guess this is okay. like post-apocalypse, post they're carrying refugees or whatever. <laughs> okay. So, but th- so that was like that was that was fun to me. It was like, oh wow, I, I want to know more. Exactly, mm. I want to know more about how they decided. Like, because it is like a Battlestar Galactica thing, you know. Like, we can't just be a warship. We can't just be an explorer. We also have to like have a community of people because we need to have lots of babies because we, there aren't any of us anymore. So that's interesting. But that comment about how you know go talk to the the kids and and tell them stories about us Mm. with your dog Uh, you know everyone loves a dog right so that makes me think that they were definitely a part of the community on their planet that absolutely after because again it's like breakfast so after she tells them everything over breakfast worst breakfast ever but then they like go on a walk to markets and they and they tell stories to the kids and they you know, help build a fence or whatever. Like, I don't know what they're doing, but I do think that they are a part of the community and that they are looked up to. Like, I think mm. that even on their little community, they would be like, oh, it's Captain Archer in DePaul. Yeah, yeah. And Archer is very lucid and his problem is forming new memories. He's an otherwise an intelligent and practical man so aside from the awkwardness of having to explain to him every day who you are and why you're here i reckon he would be a great person to have on your team like i can imagine there being some kind of you know our our water system is broken and he goes and because he has that like you know oh i looked at and i came up with this way to make things more efficient and they're like yeah you already did that but you know good news it worked and so I can imagine him like going and solving problems and, and it's just sort of, it's like, that's the tragedy is that he doesn't remember any of the times that he does anything. And that's... No, and that includes his new achievements. Right. It's really, I, I mean, I, I just, I love to think about that. Uh, the, you know, I have on our list here, Time Leaves in Memory, and then I have a, a few different Mm. Uh, episodes and all good things the visitor before and after yeah. the year of hell right and i also like uh i think cause and effect would also be like mm. there's a lot of and i think that star trek does this a lot uh, star trek does this a lot but also like look at that list those are like acclaimed episodes of yeah. star trek and it's not just because we're all nerds and we love time travel star trek does it well i guess is what i'm saying mm. that that they have their good at and I think that part of it is that in a time loop Mm. it 
you can change the status quo and it doesn't affect this series because it gets reverted right. by the end. So you, you learn can... something about the characters, but you don't have to change the premise right. of the show. And television, like one, I took a class and one of the, you know, like the Bible of television writing is your characters can't change mm. too much. They have to always be like, it has to take the entire series <laughs> for them to to change and, and, and grow and like, and that's frustrating, but it's also like fascinating. And it makes you think about how real people change and how mm. slow it is and how, like I was listening to a horribly depressing podcast on <laughs> climate change. And they it basically said, if everyone stopped using a car tomorrow, or, you know, a plan. like if all emissions ended tomorrow, we wouldn't see the result until 2033. Wow. So, no, I mean, and obviously that's not going to happen. No. So change is super, super slow, but we have been like conditioned to want to see the immediate results and to like that instant gratification and I think that realizing that like being a T'Pol and being like mm. Jonathan is I'm gonna have to tell him this story every single day but I'm going to change and we are going to have a different relationship every day it's going to be you know it's it's going to be affected like even the even if he doesn't remember it's still going to affect me it's going to affect mm. the community it's going to affect how we exist he is in one sense a fixed point but she is not i know i keep coming back to the name but like names really mean a lot to me and i it's he's surprised when she calls mm. him by his name but he doesn't like he accepts it you know it's like and i can imagine that through this whole story it's like that's that's a tether, like knowing that this, that Paul, who I have this relationship that I do remember, you know, that I, I do have a relationship where I risked my life to make sure that she was okay, right? On yeah. top of that, I have this relationship that I don't remember, but she remembers and she's calling me by my first name. And maybe that's something that I always wanted, that I, I like wanted her to accept me in a certain, you know, in a certain sense or something, or I, I, we, we can't have that kind of relationship while we're captain and first officer, but now we're not. So maybe yeah. we can, you know, there's just a lot there and it, it opens up a lot of ideas. It really does. Can I ask, you have said that you don't like certain episodes because they're time loops and everything mm -hmm. goes back to normal at the end. So what was the point? Yep. That's kind of the case with this episode. Why is it an exception for you? Well, I Is think it just that you love the Topol and Archer relationship. I think probably that is most of it. That I just love their <laughs> relationship so much, and that this episode is such a highlight for that. And that I can, you know, the end of the series, the la the series finale is horrible. I've heard this. It takes like the the it it does a time jump, and so it goes, you know number of years in the future and here's to Paul and Archer and they're like she's like helping him with his uniform and so you know it's like 
super cute and it's sort of like okay they've gotten to this relationship that's in this episode in the real mm. part and so like it's like this this relationship is real even if it didn't happen no that makes sense yeah and i do i it like makes me crazy but sort of so a time and again the yes uh fourth i think episode of voyager where uh, Janeway and Paris get like lost on a planet that's going to explode and they have this they like really bond and Ooh. I just love Janeway and Paris and I just have this whole you know I want them I want them to remember that and it's upsetting to me that they don't it's upsetting to me that like even Kess doesn't really remember anything that happened and that's only one day so you would think that like 12 years would be devastating to me but it's almost like in time and again because it's only one day and it's literally never referenced again and it didn't happen like it no one remembers no the end of this episode sort of suggests that even if archer doesn't remember everything his relationship to T'Pol has changed yeah he has a subconscious recollection and so i feel like this episode is a turning point almost in their relationship and so that they will get to there. Mm. Like, you know, I, and I definitely, like, that's the Archer and DePaul that I imagine raising Kat Cornwell. Like, that's, <laughs> if you want to know about my crazy head cannons, that's it. There they are in their little kitchen, their little farm, <laughs> uh, you know, being super awesome space heroes, but also super domestic and adorable and, like, parenting together even if they're not together together mm. that's what i imagine and i do think because we know that they are super amazing space heroes even you know especially to paul and we know that she is a perfectly capable starship captain who will in fact take the helm and ram a ship that's attached to her ship into the other attacking ship mm -hmm. It, it doesn't bug me as much as it might otherwise that we see her in this domestic feminized space. Mm. Like, we know that that is not the be all and end all of her personality. And in fact, this is something new for her. This is a good segue into our fashion and hair cast. Oh, because her outfit, both the fact that she wears the uniform. Mm hmm the real uniform, like the uniform that everyone else wears. Yeah. And then she's in this, like, soft jumpsuit. Like, yes. it looks comfortable. It's she, loose. She's not, like, it's loose. It's, she can move in it. There's, like, it's still, she's still beautiful. <laughs> stunning, stunning woman. I, I actually think Jolene Blaylock never looks prettier than yeah. in that red jumpsuit with the ponytail like she is such a beautiful beautiful woman and i have to admit that like the lip filler her lip filler is very 2001 and that's regrettable uh but you know that's that's an aesthetic feeling on my part and it doesn't take away from the fact that she is gorgeous she's gorgeous but she is never prettier than in those in those scenes in both the uniform and the jumpsuit yeah she's so comfortable and yet stunning <laughs> like yes and so i it just makes me angry at the entire rest of the series <laughs> i know i know like you get back to the flashbacks and she's back in the pink jumpsuit and you know i love a pink velour jumpsuit but 
It's like we could but have had ripped. it all. You can literally see the corset, the like the metal corset bars in that. Oh my floor, god! You know, it's like it drives me crazy. And yeah. honestly, I think even with the Starfleet uniform, I suspect there was some corsetry under there, or at least some very aggressive shapewear. Whereas. <laughs> The red outfit looks much yeah. more well because and, and it's like obnoxious and it's horrible, but it's like, oh, she's 12 years older, so she doesn't have to have the same figure, which yeah. is like, oh my god, I hate you. People. She can have the real figure of a Hollywood actress in her late 20s who is very, very thin. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous, it just drives me crazy. But yeah, she's beautiful, she's comfortable, and the hair. Okay, so her hair looks amazing. It just, again, it, it just looks so comfortable. It looks so easy. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure it still took like three hours for in the makeup chair to put together, but you can't see that. No, I was actually wondering if that was Jolene Blaylock's real hair and mm. not a wig. Right. It's like, oh, it, like, because that's what it looks like. It looks very, yeah. I got up, I pulled my hair into a ponytail, and I made breakfast. <laughs> like, yeah. the, that's, what, that's what she did. It's the Hollywood version of that. Then, I mean, I love the fact that, that for everyone, for literally everyone in the episode, they use hair to, like, show the passage of time. <laughs> yes. Like, for everyone. Everyone suddenly has, like, salt and pepper. <laughs> Malcolm has that ridiculous facial hair. That no beard Malcolm. was deeply no. troubling. No, Malcolm. Bad idea. Stop. Mm. Uh, Hoshi has a little bob going on. It's just so funny. Everyone has to have different hair. Because <laughs> they can't, like, you can't tell that 12 years have gone by if they don't have different hair. Which, I mean, just this year, this <laughs> pandemic year, which to be honest feels like at least 12 years. But yeah. just this year, I've had at least four different hairstyles. So I get it. Like, it's <laughs> true yes i shaved my head last week i have three millimeters of hair right now that's amazing right i was gonna say i cut off all my hair but you win (laughs) because you really (laughs) cut off all your hair i have like looking forward to like getting a centimeter or two so i can dye it teal for a few months it'd be nice yes be so awesome the other like the the fun thing about it is that going back to rosemary's baby and mia farrow the pixie cut that mm. Mia Farrow got for the movie, like it's a it's a plot point in the movie, and it's it's an important plot point in that it's like one of the few things that Rosemary does where she's like, I've decided to do this thing and I'm going to do it, and I did it. Whereas like yeah. everything else in the movie, she doesn't like she, it's the only thing she can control is how short her hair is, and then her husband is like, Oh my god, you look like a boy! I can't handle you anymore. It's like this fun little thing where. Paul like has a pixie cut all the time <laughs> and the and she reverts to the long hair and so I just think that that's like a fun little it's like it's almost a play on on Levin's other famous uh story which is Stepford Wives like, yes so it, it, there's this like it's there's just so much and I'm sh- like I, I'm probably giving them too much credit by thinking about all of this Rosemary's Baby and Mia Farrow and Ira Levin and whatever stuff, but it's in, it, like, they mentioned it's it. It's in the text. So I'm it's allowed. their fault for bringing it up. Exactly. They brought it up and I decided to run with it. And I think that it's awesome. It's like, it's so, 
real. It just makes it makes me. I love to fall, but it mm. makes me like relate to her on a I could be like you level as opposed to I really love you, Vulcan lady, <laughs> that I could definitely never be. <laughs> Yeah, and it feels like, you know, we love costume and we love the fashion in Star Trek because it's telling a story through visuals. And this tells a really clear story. You know, even Phlox has a bit of a sexy head of hair and also yeah. he started wearing black. And I'm like, hello, right? I didn't know you were very attractive. Bit disturbed by my feelings here, but go <laughs> it's, it, like You're totally, like, Phlox is weirdly attractive in this episode it's really like wait i don't know no 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 i but don't it's want there. this it's no. right there and like malcolm is the opposite like ew yeah. <laughs> i want nothing to do with you malcolm and even trip like trip's only change is that he has like gray in his temples and it's clearly like painted on it's just like yeah my hd television does not do great things too it's not quite as bad colors. as the whiteout in Gary Mitchell's hair and where no man has gone before. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly right. it's a descendant of the same effect. <laughs> because they were like on the cusp of HD when this episode was made. Yeah. So it's like it's it's in the it's already in the widescreen mm. uh, you know, like it doesn't have that problem. So it's doing better in that way. But I can definitely still see that Tripp's grey hair is painted on. But Archer's gray hair is clearly a wig, and it is hilarious. I love that <laughs> clearly T'Pol has been cutting his hair, and she only knows how to do a Vulcan bowl cut. She looks, you are so right. When I read that comment, I was like, she's 100% correct. Like, I was, I was just staring at it the entire time. I was like, what is this wig? Why is it? Why is it like that? Why didn't they just do, like, with, with Trip? Why didn't they just paint it? Why did they give him a wig? Like, what is the what is the difference? But it, you're right; it's a Vulcan cut. Yeah, and I think again, this is I think this is very intentional. And kudos to the hair department for yeah. having that idea, because again, storytelling through the costume and hair, and yeah, it's it's great. And I think media has a tendency to go a bit overboard with the aging makeup, and they really held back here. Yes, and aside from. The stuff that doesn't do so well in HD, and I think uh, we can file Archer's crow's feet under that category as well. But generally, they're pretty restrained here, and I, I respect yeah. that. It's kind of funny because it's now it's now twelve years later, right? Like it's yeah, like, when that was twenty two thousand two, so it's like eighteen years later. Mm. Like he he looks like that. It's like good job, <laughs> you did well, because that's what he looks like now. He is still adorable, he's still attractive, and yay, got Bacula. And also I have to say, like, I really enjoyed the Star Trek Day panels. I feel badly that I didn't, like, tweet anything about the Enterprise panel. It was, I, it was the last one that I saw, I had to leave, like, right as it was ending. And I didn't, like, live tweet them, I'm not saying, like, I was doing, but I did, like, mention each of the other ones. And I mm. didn't mention Enterprise, but I did watch it, and I really enjoyed it, and it was just... It was similarly to the other ones where they were like blatantly like, oh, you want to call us social justice warriors? Okay, we are. <laughs> like every single person, and especially Scott Bakula, was like, you might think Enterprise is like the uh, George W. Bush of Star Trek, but you are wrong. 
I mean, because that, that, we, that is a fair assessment. But it I is respect, a fair I respect but, that they're pushing back against being okay with that. And I honestly think Bacula is a really lovely guy and it's a shame that Archer was not a character who would do justice to Bacula's own likability. Right. And the thing is that you watch this episode and it's like, oh man, when you just let him be that. Yeah! Like, look at that. Look at what he did. <laughs> There are, and there are a couple, there are, like, even, I would say in every episode there's a moment where it's like, Mm. oh, that's, that's my archer. Like, that's, that's my trash captain. I love him. But the rest of the time he's trash. And so it's really difficult. It's really, like, as, and again, I haven't even seen every episode of Enterprise. And I would certainly never, like, say, oh, yeah, Enterprise is my favorite or Enterprise is, like, top three. But... I do have a really specific connection to it still mm. because it was like there's this you know curve of I started with Next Generation and I went through and I sort of like watched some of Deep Space Nine and I became really obsessed with Voyager and Enterprise was like the last you know like you cling to it and then it was like taken Mm. away before it was really supposed to be and it was like wait I didn't like I was I wasn't watching because I was mad at it but I that doesn't mean I don't want it to continue you know it was Uh, like this weird I was prepared for seven years of being annoyed with it (laughs) exactly I was like wait no you like and I and I even felt guilty like oh I'm the reason that it was cancelled because I wasn't watching every episode on time or whatever like uh, because it was still star trek and it, and i still i really love to paul i really love archer i have a lot of issues but mm. it's it's not with it's not with the idea it's not with the concept it's with no. how people like what people did and then how like it's with the george w bish parts it's with yeah. the stupid rubbing each other with oil nonsense (laughs) part of the problem with enterprise is that it was created by a burnt out creative team yes and was subject to upn's network demands and let's face it history does not look back with much reverence at upn as a network because what did it mean they failed they failed yes let's put it out there they were a failure of a network they were sold to their competition yeah, that's what happened. So clearly, that wasn't a good. It wasn't a good chapter, and it definitely the network interfered in Voyager and anything mm-hmm. that I don't like in Voyager, I blame on the network all the time. Honestly, the time. I think that to a great extent that is a fair decision. Like so much of, so many of Voyager's problems and its inability to evolve past them were because UPN right. didn't want them to. UPN wanted Next Gen Part 2. And then Enterprise was like UPN's last gasp, desperate. Mm. And it reads like the worst parts of Discovery Season 2. More than that, because, you know, you consider the way Jolene Blaylock was treated, and I think it really says a lot that she does not do anything, have anything to do with Star Trek at all. It makes me so sad because she was a fan, and I just, like... I know. I, I, I like. I want to. I wish that I could find her out in the world and be like, "Look, they did not." I know. You. 
Okay. I know. I, I want to buy her a drink and listen to all her stories yes. and also tell her how much I admire the work she did like, on the show and like, how much I wish that it exactly. had gone differently. It's like, do you understand that you are 90% of what I love about this series? Yeah. Like, you are any, what's good. Anything they like, it's you. So... Pretty much, like, it had a great cast, but most of them were underused. And between you and me, like, in terms of the secondary characters, I think Malcolm Reed gets the most attention and he's the least interesting. Agreed. Like, Hoshi, I, I, I'm, and, and, Hoshi Travis. and Travis never get any attention. They're just non-entities. Like, I, I could not tell you three things that matter mm. to those characters. And yet, they're the ones whose actors still have thriving careers. Right. Well, because they're good. Right. And they're even, like, I've seen them in person. They're so charming. And they, again, they care. They wanted so much more than they got. And it's really sad. Yeah. So if you're out there, Jolene, we know you're listening. Give us a call. (laughs) We just want to hang out. (laughs) I have two things I want to say before we wrap up. Yes. I want to say that, you know, I mentioned that there are these other, you know, time loop episodes. Yeah. And the end of this episode where, you know, first Flux goes down and then T'Pol goes down Mm. and then Archer is shot, but he keeps trying and he has to, you know, he has to do all of his things and he keeps being shot and he's like desperate to, to push all the buttons and make it all happen is basically the exact same ending of Year of Hell. And yes. that's not a that's not a diss. Like I, oh, no, I think it's no. actually awesome <laughs> that these episodes end in the same way. Like it's I think it's great. It to me it's like, oh yeah, that's what a Starfleet captain is. <laughs> you know, it's like also <laughs> you know, the Buffy episode The Wish, it's the ending of that and the wonderful slow motion scene where the slayer's neck is broken. That to me is the iconic end of a doomed parallel universe story. And I am into anything that calls back to that, even right. though my Buffy days are far, far behind me. And, but, and I love, I love that he collapses like on top of T'Pol in this like, you know, we are, mm. even in death, we're, we're connected kind of thing. I just love it. I just, it's like, that is... That's what I wanted from this episode, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Like, yes. That is the if 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 this timeline has to end with everyone dying, they die together and they die fighting. And like that's yes. like, you know, as much as I make fun of We Are Starfleet, that's what We Are Starfleet is. It also made me realize that I really like Flox to Paul and Archer as a team and would have liked to see more of that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's one of those, like, clear, again, I've said, T'Pol's the best character on this show. Captain is my, is my trash captain. And Flox is, like, the other character who is different and new and interesting. Mm. Like, Trip, I think that the, they really, like, he does a good job of portraying that character. But he's the Tom Paris. He's the Kirk. He's the, like, Riker. He's the, like, we've seen that character before. And yeah, there's nothing new here. There's nothing new in that. Reed barely has a character, but what it, whatever it is, is like snooty European. <laughs> He's and, basically Brexit the character. Yeah, and so like, so that's not that's not new. And then then Hoshi and Travis have no personality whatsoever. But like, Flox has a whole life outside of what we see. 
And even if we don't get like yeah. to see enough of it, we know that it exists and, and yeah. we can imagine it. And so these three characters are clearly like they're the most the ones that have the most backstory, they have the most like rich characterization. And so watching them work mm. together is really exciting. Yeah. It just occurred to me that we don't know how long Denobulans live, so if they wanted to bring flocks back for strange new worlds, I would be into that. Interesting. I like this mm. idea. Yeah, I don't know anything about Denobulans. But like, I don't I don't think um, we know anything at all so, about Denobulans. But back to the the archer, you know, pushing through certain death mm. to fix the timeline and save humanity uh that's the moment that i point to and say like you know as much as i said in the domesticity earlier like it's like look see he's related to cat like like see see <laughs> that's that's the moment that's that's what i'm talking about when i say mm. these these people are are together and that's and like again this is a headcanon i've made up and just accidentally fell in love with. I did not mean to. <laughs> it was it was a lark. It was it was not supposed to become my like belief, <laughs> but it's become. We've like, all been sorry. there. We've just, we've just all had head cannons that took over. <laughs> in that moment, I was reminded of Janeway, and I was reminded of Cat, and I was sort of reminded of Pike. And so it was like, you know, so that's what I mean when I say this is the we are Starfleet because it's like yeah. oh, I get it. I Courage, get it. The, loyalty, self sacrifice. Never give up, never surrender. <laughs> oh, I should watch that movie again. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at, at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at Antimatterpod and on Facebook. Just search for us. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about Romulans in the original series. That's right, we're Ooh. watching... Shoot, what are the episodes? <laughs> the Enemy Within, no? Battle no, of that's... Terror and the Enterprise Incident. Thank you! Balance of Oh terror, my god, I'm such a... <laughs> Fake geek girl. <laughs> Battle of Terror. <laughs> Battle of Terror title. and the Enterprise Incident. Yes, those ones. Watch them. Catch up. <laughs> those ones. See you soon. Yeah.